It's an industry that I generally love. I have a passion for. I, I, I eat, sleep. I live for fitness. No, you need to be obsessed. You need to wake up, think about it. You need to go to bed, think about your clients, think about your progress, think about what you can do better. Genuinely, like, just be like patient and take your time. Like that, that is like, you've got to take it all in, in the right steps. You've got to nail what you do in person before you go and like. I don't like to talk about fear. The fears is usually something that makes your worries real. You are listening to the Coaching Ignited Show, where we bring you stories and insights from coaches, fitness professionals, and industry experts to help you expand your business and reach your goals. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. My name is Alex Povey. You can subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite apps, including Spotify and iTunes. The Coaching Ignited movement is on a mission to help coaches and personal trainers increase their sales and reach their full potential. If you wanted to find out more, please head over to coachingignited.com. And if you wanted to connect with us on social media, all the details can be found in the show notes. Now let's get into today's show. So on today's episode of the podcast, we've got a very special guest. And this is a bit of a different show to what we've normally done in the past. And we've got on Mike Reed, and he's the co-founder and global director of Dentco Global. And they're a training and advisory company that runs business accelerators for founders of six and seven figure revenue service firms. And by the age of 26, Mike was consistently running highly successful large-scale promotional campaigns, generating tens of millions of dollars of new business. And on this show, we really dive into the book, The Key Person of Influence, that his business partner, Daniel Priestley, wrote. And we dive into the importance of really positioning yourself as an expert and what that can do to your business. So we look at books, publishing, pitching and profiles and things that are really going to help you stand out in your business in 2019. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. And if you enjoy it, feel free to share it on your stories, on your social media and tag us in so we can get more awareness, more reach and more people enjoying this content too. All right, so we're live, Mike. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for being here, first of all. And also, I want to say thank you so much for sending me over this book as well, which I've got here. Um, and I read this. I literally devoured it within four sittings. And for anyone obviously listening who can't see it, it's the book called Key Person of Influence, um, which is associated to your company. And I absolutely love this book. I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into it. I'm going to talk about it. And I actually booked onto the event that's next week in London Good, on you? the 20th of February because I liked it so much. I'm like, I need to get to this event. I love what KPI is about. And I'm sure we can get into that and we can talk about that in great detail. But in terms of like your backstory, your involvement, I'd love for kind of the listeners to hear like how are you involved in this company and your story and how this all started. Yeah, absolutely. And look, thank you for having me on the show. It's uh, always nice to share my story and share the story of Denton, key person of influence as well. And um, and hopefully, I can you know offer some uh, some good insights for everyone listening as well. But um, look, the short of it is, I co-founded a 
training and advisory company called Dent. Uh, we operate in four cities around the world. And what we're most known for is uh, running accelerator programs. And our flagship accelerator is called the Key Person of Influence Accelerator, which is based on the book that you mentioned. And the book essentially talks about um, this idea that in every industry, there are what we call key people of influence. That is, at the center of an industry, about 10% of every industry is made up of people that are the most well-liked, the most well-trusted, the most credible. They tend to earn the most money. They attract the, the best opportunities. They tend to share the best opportunities within that little circle. And probably if you're listening, you'll, if you look at your industry, you'll notice that there's about 10% of people who are the most visible on social media. They appear in traditional media. They're winning the best deals. They're most well-known, well-liked, well-recognized, et cetera. And the thing we noticed about eight years ago, 10 years ago, was that those people weren't technically better in their field compared to everyone else. They, they didn't, it wasn't like the accountant had superior accounting skills compared to every other accountant. But what they were good at was they were really good at things like communicating and pitching their value through their pitch. So they could really deliver a powerful message. They understood why they were valuable, why they were unique, and they could communicate that effectively through a pitch. They were doing things like publishing content. They were writing books. They were um, productizing their service. They were introducing different products into an ecosystem that they would offer the market. They would actively get into traditional media. They'd they do specific things to raise their profile online so that Google would uh, rank them highly and they would partner and joint venture with other key people in their industry. And we noticed it was those five skills that really set them apart from everyone else in the industry. And so we distilled those five areas into the Key Person of Influence book and through what we do at Dent is we actually help implement that into people's businesses. So we take a group of entrepreneurs through a 12-month accelerator, connect them with a faculty of mentors, introduce them to resources, uh, create a high-performance accountability environment. And over 12 months, we help them to really accelerate their journey to becoming a key person of influence in their industry. Um, so that's what we do. My kind of journey through Dent was I bet my business partners about, oh, I can't say eight years ago now in Australia. And one of my business partners, his name's Glenn Carlson. He was launching uh, KPI and Dent into Oz. And I met him very early on into him launching the business there. Uh, I happened to go to, we were both sitting in a pub in South Melbourne and uh, I was going along to a very small talk he was giving to a group of, I'd say about 10 or 12 people who were interested in this key person of influence concept. And so we caught up for coffee the next day. I was 23 years old at the time, so fairly fresh out of university. I was, you know, this young, green, hungry, ambitious kid who loved entrepreneurship. I was, you know, kind of really gravitated towards hanging out with entrepreneurs. I, I love this idea of entrepreneurship being a vehicle where you could grow and scale really quickly. To me, that really excited me. That was the essence of what entrepreneurship did for me was this idea that I could leapfrog the competition in life. I could really get ahead very quickly. It was, you know, it was kind of something that, that a nine to five career could never offer. However, at the time, I didn't have a lot of experience in business. I was full of enthusiasm, but no real skills. So uh, when I met Glenn, it was a um, perfect match because he was looking for someone like me to come along and help him grow and scale the business. And so I, I joined forces with him. We we started uh, kind of quickly scaling. and I can sort of share the story as to how we did that. Um, within a couple of years, we were on the BRW Fast Starters list in Australia, which is one of the fastest growing young companies in the country. 
and uh, and that kind of the rest was history. I, I invested into the business, bought into the business, and uh, and sort of joined as a, a co-founder partner in the business very very quickly. And uh, you know, here we are today, eight years later. I'm sitting in Toronto, Canada, having left Australia. Uh, Glenn's continuing continuing to run the business over there. We've got a, a fairly large office in the UK, the UK as well, and I'm here to launch what we're doing in Toronto. Amazing, absolutely love it. So, in terms of like all these different fragments of the business, I've noticed um, when you go on the website, there's tons of people that are involved in this operation, and it's a global thing, right? How does that look? Like, how is it fragmented and, and what is it made up of? Have you got all these little events, all these little offices? How, how does it all work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good, really good question, actually, because it's probably not a question I get asked so often. Um, people look at us and go, oh, you know, these guys look like a big organization with a big brand and all those kind of things. But um, probably not too many people are dig into how we create that global small business because ultimately we are we are a small business but we've got that global footprint and i think the reason why we're able to do that is because um if i if i break it down there's a number of different reasons so going back to the key person of influence methodology that i spoke about before uh one of the components of that is called productizing and what that means is we tend to work with a lot of service-based businesses, accountants, consultants, coaches, lawyers, et cetera, where what they deliver is through their um, uh, through their skills and experience and expertise. So I know you've got a lot of coaches who listen to this podcast. Uh, we work with a lot of coaches as well, personal trainers, fitness trainers, where the value of what they do is based on their hand skills. It's based on their intellectual property and the knowledge in their head. And often the big problem they tend to struggle with is they have to show up and deliver that. So they're handcuffed to the delivery process of their value. And the simple reason why that is, is because that person hasn't necessarily gone through a process to extract and unpack their intellectual property and formalize it into a more systematic way it gets delivered where someone else with equal skills or experience could come along and deliver it on their behalf or even better, they could find someone who's got even better skills in each of the components of how they deliver value to the market and package that up together and all of a sudden they've got an even more valuable product, which is exactly what we do. Um, I'm not here to profess I'm the the guru of business, but what I do do is bring together a whole faculty of gurus, a, a whole faculty of very experienced mentors who when packaged together, we offer that as a product to the market called the Key Person of Influence Accelerator. So it's that principle of how do we break down, kind of like a production line, break down the process from taking someone from where they are now to where they want to be and, uh, and start to sub in the expertise, the people, the technology, the systems, et cetera, that a client could go through that system, get an incredible outcome or a result, and it doesn't necessarily rely on me having to deliver it. So that's the kind of the first component of scale. You know, you need that productized, repeatable, scalable product offering. Um, once you've got that, then uh, that become that becomes something that could work in say one location. So when we launched the business in London, we tested that product. It worked remarkably well at delivering a result to clients. Uh, but because the product was because the service was productized, it um, and it was repeatable, it became something where we could pick that up and put it into a different location. So the next location we we set up was in Melbourne, Australia, and my business partner Glenn came over there, launched it. I met him. You know, it's where where we all began. And so all of a sudden, now we're in 
two locations and we've got a, a leader in each location who's managing and running that location. But the process, the way we deliver a result to people, the way we deliver the product is exactly the same in each location. We've just picked up what's worked in one and we've transported it to another with the right person who could lead it. Then as we opened up more cities, we continued to replicate that process essentially by finding the right leader who could come along and execute upon a working model already. So the starting start of this process is about a proving a, a model and a process that works in one location. So, uh, you know, do a micro, um, a micro validation of, of a product and a business by getting it working in one spot. And then through documentation, through systems, through technology, um, all of a sudden we had the tools, the resources and the assets where another talented individual could come along, pick up all those tools and go, I can see what you guys are doing. The tools and the resources are there. I can see how it works in one location. I'd love to take that package of that business and set it up in a new location. And so we continue to do that through numerous cities around the world. And um, and that's what's really allowed us to have a, a global footprint while at a local level, it's um, it's it's really just running a very simple little system that works, you know, at, at a at a small local level. So, um, what it enables us to do is at each at each local level where we run each each location, each city, that city essentially operates as a small boutique lifestyle business for the founder. So, for me here in Toronto, or for Daniel in London, or for Glenn in Australia, um, we can run that location as a little division within the business and for the founder or the leader of that location, it allows them to, you know, run a profitable, enjoyable, fun lifestyle business as a key person of influence in that location uh, without the headaches and the hassle of needing to manage a global, um, you know, a a global organization, which all of a sudden turns into what we call a performance business uh, where you've got, you know, significant governance issues and all sorts of other different things. It's, um, you know, it's, you know, far more significant systems and processes and all, and all that sort of jazz. So, uh, uh, we're essentially a, a collective of small little businesses and bundled together. It makes us a, you know, mm. a much bigger business. Yeah, it makes perfect Does that make sense? sense. So in terms of like these key things in the key personal influence book, we've got them broken down into pitch, published product, um, partnerships and profile. Right, those are the five. Is there five in total? Or have I missed one? Five there's there's okay. five, correct. So, in terms of like the audience, like most of my listeners will be like personal trainers or coaches. Now, can we co- kind of go through each one of those and kind of talk about how these things are important to those type of people and why they should be working on those key things in order to make them influential in their space and how they can do this because obviously i know and you know how to do it because i've read the book you built the company but these guys Mm -hmm. don't really understand the methodology behind it so i'd love to dive into it and really go through each point and see why they're important and what they can actually do for your business so maybe we should start with the pitch because you Mm -hmm. opened with the pitch right and why that was so important Can we talk about the pitch and why that's important for any business owner, coaches, personal trainers, anyone in any industry? Mm, Yeah. Okay. Good question. So I think it's tempting as a business owner, particularly when you're a service business to feel like 
the quality of the work that you do should stand on its own two feet and that uh, if you deliver a really great service to people, that that in and of itself should help you, you know, be get, be get much more known and recognized or, um, you know, that's, a, that's enough in and of itself. And unfortunately, it's not. The reality is you could have a really superior product, but if you can't pitch it, you're dead in the water. Whereas someone with an inferior product, really frustratingly, if they have a much more effective way to communicate the value proposition of that to the market, they'll tend to do better. So, um, so there's a saying in, in, we have with our clients that um, uh, you get what you pitch for and you're always pitching. And, uh, and you know, kind of in, in business, a pitch is the, one of the most important things that uh, I think is the cornerstone, the, the foundation of a, uh, of a good business. And uh, when someone becomes good at what they do over time, we tend to feel like what we do is a intuitive or um, non-replicable process. Uh, that you know, if for anyone listening, if you you know, if if a prospect comes to you with a whole range of problems, ultimately the reason people buy is to solve a problem. That's the the foundation of why people buy. They come with needs, wants, and desires, but the ultimate reason why people buy is they're trying to resolve a, an unmet need or a, an issue or a problem. And um, and so when they come to you with a problem, often you'll know the right questions to ask. You'll um, they'll they'll talk about various different things, and just instinctually you'll know what to say next. And you'll ask a question that leads them to a you know new layer of understanding until such time as they get better and better acquainted with the problem and recognise they need to do something about it to solve it. Let's say, and what might feel intuitive is actually as uh, a little saying I have, which is intuition is simply unexamined process. Uh, and so we kind of need to start by slowing down and inspecting um, what are the individual steps in getting someone from the point where, you know, they express interest in what you do to the point where they're ready to, to sign and do business with you. And uh, we've broken down that process into what we call a pitching architecture. And there's a number, there's about eight different components of, of the pitching architecture. But uh, one of the simple pitches we encourage everyone to create is something called a social pitch. And a social pitch is the kind of pitch you would deliver at a bar. It's the kind of pitch you would deliver at a networking event. And uh, the way to remember the social pitch is to remember name, same, and fame. Now, let me explain how you would deliver that. So if I met someone at a networking event, when I first introduced myself and they asked the question, what do you do? I would say something along the lines of, well, my name's Mike. I run a training and advisory company called Dent Global. Now, training and advisory company is not unique. There's plenty of training and advisory companies out there in the same way that if you're a personal trainer or a coach, um, when you say, hi, my name's Tim, uh, I'm a coach. That doesn't differentiate you or make you unique. And the temptation for most people when they're pitching is they want to instantly try and differentiate themselves. And that's a mistake. When you first communicate who you are and what you do to someone, our minds want to be able to put you into a box. We, we want to know kind of where do you fit in. And the mistake that people make is they try and invent terminology or in, use really verbose language and that kind of thing to differentiate themselves straight away by saying something on the lines of, you know, my name's Tim. I, um, you know, I transform people's lives. And if you delivered that pitch to me, unfortunately, I would still have no idea what you do. 
you could fit into so many different buckets and so many different categories that the the pitches there's really it's non-information there's nothing really relevant in there so the very start of a pitch needs to start with who you are and what are you the same as everybody else in when you're the, when you can put yourself into that that category or that box, then from there the next stage in the pitch is to differentiate yourself. So I'd say my name's Mike. I run a training and advisory company called Dent Global. We specialize in working with the founders of six to seven figure revenue service based businesses, um, and we're ultimately known for helping establish them as key people of influence uh, through a twelve month accelerator program. And at that point, I've now established who we work with, six to seven figure revenue companies. Um, what we do, we run an accelerator program and what we deliver as an outcome, we establish them as key people of influence. Uh, and that's the, that's the part where I can differentiate and that's why we call it fame. It's the little part of what you do that makes you unique, mm. different, makes you famous type thing. And that's something I could deliver in 30 seconds and we call that the social pitch. In a longer pitching structure. We, we have a pitching architecture we call the capstone pitch architecture. Uh, capstone is an acronym for clarity, authority, problem, solution, opportunity, next step, essence. Um, those are each the eight, eight stages in the pitching architecture. The social pitch I just mentioned, that's the clarity step of the capstone architecture. So if I had a... Um, you know, if I had another half an hour to have a conversation with that person, if they were interested in talking more, I would very gradually and slowly work my way through the capstone architecture in a, in a conversational format. And so once I delivered that part of the pitch, they might ask the question and hopefully they'll ask the question, oh, sounds really interesting. Can you tell me more about that? At which point I can then go to the next stage in the pitching architecture. Now, Whenever you deliver a pitch, a pitch shouldn't be a scripted, you know, uh, monologue. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation. And so uh, ultimately, uh, a pitching structure allows you to be flexible in your conversation, but also take people through a very deliberate um, conversation architecture that's designed to tick the, the boxes in the right order in people's minds to have them persuaded, convinced, compelled that you've got mm. something valuable to offer them that's relevant. And there is a decision-making psychology that's unspoken, unconscious, uh, in how we evaluate ideas and how we evaluate a value proposition. Um, we've just broken down that psychology and in terms of what are the boxes that human beings need to tick to see something as credible, as relevant for them. It addresses a problem or a need that they've got. It, it demonstrates how it solves that problem. It gives them an opportunity to solve the problem. It, it gives them a next step to take. Um, that kind of decision-making architecture, we can create the opposite of that, which we call a pitching architecture that talks to each of those points that they need to, to tick to, you know, get to the end of the conversation and be really interested in, you know, taking a next step and, and solving yeah. the problem that they've got, yeah. if they do it, have that problem. Like when you Does that explain it, it's very um, in-depth and thorough because obviously we're exploring the actual pitch itself. But if we were to go from just like a bird's eye view and just simplify the whole thing for people to really just grasp, you, you mentioned something at the start of what to remember. Maybe if we can repeat that, but or just or just summarize it into maybe the key three mm -hmm. things you need to remember 
when going through a pitch and that'll give you the best chance of converting someone into a sales process or potentially a client. Mm. So one of the principles is always simply pitch the next step. Uh, What that means is if you first meet someone, don't try and close the business straight away. People need to go through a process of research, of evaluation. All of that stuff takes time. They need to build a relationship with you. You know, anyone listening would would understand that. And so whenever you're pitching, your goal of a pitch is always just to get to the next step. So if you just meet someone for the first time, the next step might be simply meeting them for a longer meeting. So if you met met them for 15 minutes, your goal is to meet them for an hour. Um... If anyone, if you're getting positive feedback from someone initially, the mistake is to try and rush into doing business with them. Whereas you need to be very clear as to what's your outcome, what's your objective, and it might just be to get to a next step, which is a, a longer conversation to have a proper conversation. So therefore, um, always keep that in mind. What's the next step? Uh, the other key point with uh, pitching is to remember that um, credibility and communicating credibility effectively is must happen before you can talk to someone's problems or you can really talk to their situation. I see a, mista- a mistake that a lot of business owners make, or a lot of coaches, consultants, um, anyone like that, is they skip over why they're credible. And if you rush through that component of the pitch, everything that you say thereafter will be heard through a different set of ears as opposed to if you really truly establish authority and credibility up front. And some of the ways you might do that is by talking about the number of clients you've worked with in the past, um, the reach that you've got. You know, you might have authored a book in your as your in your area of expertise. Um, you might have achieved certain results in the past that are really um, that are really fantastic results. A few mentioning a few of those things to stack credibility up front is very important. And then what I mentioned, you know, before in terms of the only reason people buy is to solve a problem. So uh, when it comes to pitching, focus on really unpacking someone's challenges, issues, frustrations, headaches, problems, really help them feel the impact of that. And only once they feel the impact, do you have permission to start mm. to present that second point that you, can you solve make that problem. reminds me of when someone comes on stage, maybe it's an entre- entrepreneur, a business person, they kind of get like an intro and I was listening to why they do this and why it's so important for the speaker then to get more commitment and credibility when they come on the stage, right? So it's the same thing. It's positioning that credibility and authority. So you're kind of like preconditioning people into thinking a certain way and you're framing them into a way of thinking you thinking of you in a positive way, right? So that your pitch can then follow more of a smooth path. And you can kind of get that commitment, right? Cool. So let's dive into publish. Because off the back of reading this book, um, obviously I've got loads of ideas myself and there might be a lot of people out there. I've obviously started this podcast to create more content. I've started writing blogs for publications and stuff. But now after reading that book, I want to write a book. So I'm off to Thailand actually uh, next week, just on a whim, because I want to get some kind of inspiration, be in a nice place where I can really get that creativity. Maybe I'll come up with a book idea. Maybe I won't. But I feel like after reading this book, I want to create a book. I want to release something and create 
kind of that authority in the marketplace, even if I haven't got anything incredible to share yet, I really want to publish something. Can we talk about why publishing is one more accessible to people these days? Anyone can publish and get self-publication on Amazon and what it does to your credibility and your business if you publish a book. Because I'm really interested. I'm sure a lot of people are. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's probably fairly well recognized nowadays that it's important to create content. You know, um, five, five, ten years ago, uh, you know, it was a very early, uh, early, early piece in the journey in the, uh, how do I describe this? But the, um, you know, the, the process of marketing uh, was evolving significantly over the last five to ten years. But today it's unequivocal that you need to be sharing your message through the platforms that are available and uh, creating content is the best way to do that. And the challenge is there's now a lot of noise in the marketplace. So there's a lot of people who are putting out a lot of uh, blogs, articles, content, uh, and it can be hard to cut through. This is why a book becomes a really powerful piece in your content marketing machine because a book holds a significant amount of authority and credibility beyond just writing an article and putting it up on a blog. Part of the reason for that is it takes a long time to produce a book and it takes a lot of thought um, uh, and it takes, it takes a lot of experience and expertise to be able to collate uh, enough, uh, enough valuable insights to you know, structure that into a book. So if someone's written a book, it instantly says to someone that they've got experience in their industry, they've got a degree of expertise, they've got credibility, and they took the time, the thought to actually put together a you know, a, a whole book around their subject matter expertise. So instantly it ticks that credibility box, irrespective of whether anyone reads the book. And that's a really important point for people to remember or take into account that simply by being an author, the word authority has the word author in that. That's not a, not a mistake. Um, that, uh, that gives them an accelerated level of credibility and authority in the eyes of people that they talk to. Uh, what that then allows is the ability to leverage into certain circles you wouldn't normally get access to. Uh, it gives you greater leverage to get into media. It gives you more leverage when you're talking to prospects. Um, and the leverage that books give you is the primary reason why you w- would want to consider uh, writing a book about your particular area of expertise. Now, if you're listening to this and you kind of like what I'm putting down in terms of that idea, uh, of course, there's a lot of planning that goes into structuring a book in such a way that it you know is valuable it communicates powerful ideas uh, and what we do through the key person of influence accelerator is is help people with the structure of how to how to do that so uh, typically our clients take about 6 to 12 months to put together a book which you know for most people is actually quite a short period of time um, but consistently is probably one of the most powerful things they can do to really accelerate their credibility the other benefit of writing a book is it forces you to slow down and unpack what's in your head. So where I mentioned before that the challenge a lot of service-based small business owners have, coaches, physio, um, sorry, not physiotherapists, um, personal trainers, is they uh, where the value of what they deliver is based on their hand skills, their intellectual property, what's in their head. It really ties them to the uh to their business and to the delivery process. By writing, it forces you to unpack, well, how do you get a client from where they are now, 
stuck in the problem, stuck in the challenge of their situation to a really compelling and transformational result. What's the process that happens there? And by slowing down and starting to unpack that through writing, it forces you to break it down and give it structure and give it a kind of consistent, repeatable process. That becomes what we call a methodology or a method from taking them from from where they are now to where they want to be. Uh, and that method becomes the building block of scale. When you've got a consistent, repeatable way, you get someone from where they are now to where they want to be. Um, that allows you to then productize your products so that you could start to incorporate other people, other systems, other technology and processes that help deliver on that same outcome without you needing to show up. Now, if you're a personal trainer, let me maybe use a, an example. We've got a client in the UK. His name's uh, JP de Villiers. And JP, when we met him, was personal trainer. Um, he was booked out and his diary was full every week. His challenge was that he was struggling to keep up with uh, delivering to his clients, bringing on new business, and he was just doing all the, all the things. Um, for JP, one of the ways, one of the structures that he wrote a book was he did a tips booklet, uh, which is one of the structures that we encourage clients to do through the KPI Accelerator. And for him, that was simply, he called it 77 ways to reshape your life. And uh, it was 77 uh, tips on how someone could go from where they are now to, you know, this, this, what we call a prize, the ultimate result of what they're looking for uh, and broken down into those very simple 77 steps. It's a really easy format for him to write. He blocked out three tips a day for X number of days until he got his 77. And it only took him a couple of months to produce the book. But um, that book then kind of gave him leverage where uh, he now all of a sudden had a more repeatable way or a kind of a process that was written down for how clients could go from where they are now to where they'd like to be. What that then allowed him to do was structure a program where he he knew of those 77 tips, there was kind of five broad areas of what people needed to work on from nutrition to uh, to, to physical movement to um, spirituality to uh, other bits and pieces. And he went and found an expert in each of those areas that uh, could come in and deliver that component of his training program. Uh, for him, he really enjoyed the boxing component. That was kind of one of the components that he did. He, he, that was his background. And so he continued to deliver that piece. Whereas he brought in other people who had a high degree of expertise in each of the other areas of the, the, the methodology. And, uh, and so that gave him back about 50 to 80% of his delivery time, uh, Obviously, he had to pay those people to be involved, but because they were involved, he was also able to charge a higher price than what he would normally charge because now it was perceived to be a more valuable product in the eyes of his market. But the free time that it gave him allowed him to focus more on what he should be focusing on as the founder and as the, the leader of his business, which is bringing new business in the door, sales and marketing, uh, you know, doing the things that's going to drive more leads in have more conversations, bring on more clients uh, and get him more focused on growth as yeah, opposed that's really to interesting. being stuck so on the hamster you, wheel of delivery. Managed to take him out of the business so that he can work on the business. And so it's actually a business. He's not just going about and doing a job anymore because anyone that's kind of self-employed and working for themselves, let's be honest, they're not business owners. A business is multiple people that you're managing from above. Otherwise, you're just an employee of your own business right and you're just a worker bee so that's super interesting that a book can have that effect on someone's business mm. and 
it's very encouraging right now because like we said, writing books is, it might be challenging to write the book, but now it's so easy to publish them, right? We could get them up quite quickly on Amazon by self-publishing and not even have to go to printing presses and get them done. It could just be an mm. ebook, right? A downloadable one, an audible. It, it could, it could be absolutely. However, I will say that, uh, the value of design and, and quality of product does make a big difference in positioning yourself as a key person of influence. So uh, there's a lot of books out there that are self-published that are not high quality. And if it's not of a sufficient quality, then it can tend to detract from your positioning as a what we call a KPI in your industry. So you want to be wary of um, producing things like ebooks uh, don't carry the same level of credibility or authority as a physical book. Um, part part of the reason I know we live in a dig- digital economy, but uh, a, a traditional paper yeah. book has what we call thud factor. You can bang it down on the table in a prospect meeting, and that gives someone um, a very tangible feel for your authority, credibility, experience, expertise, and it's something they can take away, they can pass on to a friend, read yeah. at home, whereas totally typically right. what happens with an ebook is it sits on the hard drive and you know sometimes people read it, sometimes they don't. Um, so so there, there's an ecosystem to create here. You know, Just creating one book uh, and not producing any other content isn't enough there the, the, you know there kind of needs to be an ecosystem of stuff out there but uh but again there's lots of ways you can you know produce one bit of content once and repurpose it into a number of different forms whether it be you know that that written manuscript becomes a physical book plus it becomes an audio book is what you alluded to you might take a a, a summarized version and turn that into the ebook um all, all these different kind of repurposing things become available once you produce that that book manuscript so we really encourage our clients to create the manuscript and even if it doesn't make it all the way to being a book even though we really encourage our clients to just having the manuscript then gives you a lot of flexibility to repurpose it into many many different forms Um, there might be a few 10 key ideas in the book where you go out and interview 10 experts in your industry around that and record those interviews and all of a sudden that becomes a 10-part series you know, a video on your YouTube channel or a podcast or whatever it may be. Um, so, so what you'll notice is the act of writing uh, forces you to slow down. It forces you to really explore your knowledge and explore your intellectual property. And then it gives you a foundation to go out and, you know, create a whole bunch of other digital assets, uh, products that will, you know, ultimately, you know, drive more business. So it, mm. it's, it's the start you of think a it, well, journey towards Obviously, you think it's scale. a crucial part of this KPI thing. And so anyone thinking of going about writing a book, step one, what do they do? Just start drawing it all down on paper and then try and structure it from there? Or do you plan first? So do you set out a plan of how it's going to go? Or do you just try and write? How, how would you go about it? Is there, a be- is there a good or bad way to do it? Good. Good question. Uh, there is a bad way. The bad way is to start with a blank word document and start writing. So absolutely, absolutely, definitely want to plan. And the way to plan is uh, quite simple. There's obviously, when I say quite simple, um, 
the the idea is simple. The actual execution of it can be a little bit trickier, which is where you know having having guidance around you becomes really helpful. But ultimately, when you think about your ideal market, the people who uh, you know would make the perfect clients for you, the the micro niche that you want to serve, uh, they'll have a what we call a central question they're asking. So in our case, for what we do, our clients tend to be asking consciously or unconsciously the question of, uh, how do I become a more visible, more valuable, and more, more well-recognized uh, person within my industry? That's, that's the question they're consciously or unconsciously asking themselves. And so the way we would structure the book to answer that question is we start with that question in the center of the page. Imagine a big bit of butcher's paper in front of you. And then with that being the central question, we then pair off like a uh, mind map. What are all the other little questions relating to that big one question that they're asking? Um, what are the main components that uh, they need to have answered in order to get a full and complete answer to that question? So, you know, one of the components turned out to be, well, you need to be able to pitch really powerfully. That's one component. Um, that has a whole bunch of subcomponents to it. Uh, you should be doing things like authoring a book in your area of expertise. That, that has, has a whole bunch of subcomponents. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of concerns that they would have in the process to getting an answer to that question, or, or you might think of that as what are the objections that you're customers have, your prospects, your market have? What, what are the typical um, reasons why they don't move forward with you or don't move forward, don't take action to solve their problem? That becomes a series of questions that you mind map out. And when you've mind mapped that architecture behind how you answer that one central question, that becomes the framework of the book. Uh, and there, there is a particular structure that we encourage yeah. people to to do, which yep. you know requires a, a bit more explanation, maybe for another time, outside of this podcast. But but that is the that is the simple uh, framework to plan. When you've planned, uh, then the next step you can do is start to do the writing, and the writing tends to just fall out of people when they've got a really good plan in yeah. place. I mean, without, without the plan, plan you, fail, you're, right? you're stuck there with the, writer's uh, block trying to figure out what saying, to write next. And it's true with anything in business. If you've got a plan, then you're much more likely to succeed. So completely relate to that. We've probably got time for one more point within the book, which um, has been really apparent in my business personally. And maybe there's not a lot of personal trainers or coaches thinking at this level but I want to talk about some of the benefits and what it means for business by creating partnerships. Cause I think this is huge. Um, I'm a big advocate of partnering with people in a win-win situation to elevate the brands mm. or generate new business that just wasn't there before. So maybe from a lower perspective in terms of personal trainers, maybe face-to-face -face trainers, online trainers or coaches, what are some of the partnerships that you think they could create and why do we think this is really important for them and their businesses and how it can have a big impact? Hmm. Really good question. There's a couple of metaphors I'd love to maybe share that will kind of make this sound, seem really relevant why it's important. Um, you know, often what I say to people is 
uh, imagine you went out onto the football pitch uh, against a, a team of 11 people and you simply went out there on your own uh, if you're you know, a solo entrepreneur or whatever it may be, and you said, uh, look, once I score a few goals, um, you know, then I'll bring the team on to, to help me uh, you know, kind of continue to play the rest of the match. And this tends to be a challenge that a lot of solo entrepreneurs or, um, you know, just freelancers or consultants or coaches or whatever it may be have is feeling like, uh, because they don't necessarily have a lot of growth or scale at this point that they, um, can't collaborate or work with other people or bring other people onto their team, uh, that would help them, you know, be more effective. Uh, it's kind of the chicken before the egg problem of needing needing the cash first and this is where partnerships become uh become really valuable you know if someone came to me and said hey i'd really like my um you know business to impact the lives of a thousand people this year uh i might say i might initially be skeptical and go Okay, well, you know, tell me how are you going to do that? And if you say, well, uh, we've got this, um, you know, new product we've developed, and we've actually put together a partnership with one of the, um, you know, one of the biggest retailers in the UK, and uh, and they've agreed to have a stand in each one of their sixty locations around the, or you know, in in ten locations around the UK, um, to uh, promote this new product that we're this exciting new product that we're launching. All of a sudden, mm. with that partnership in place, I might say to you, "Oh, why only a thousand people?" So all of a sudden, the outcome that you're looking to achieve can change significantly just by sim- by virtue of the partnership that you've got in place to help distribute that. Let's say in in that particular example. So partnerships is really built around the idea that whatever you're missing in your business, there's someone who already woke up with that missing piece of the puzzle today. Just in the same way you've spent a lot of time building your particular piece of the puzzle of your business and you've invested a lot in developing that, that might come in the form of a really fantastic product or service. Um, you've developed some unique intellectual property, uh, you know, whatever it may be. But what you may be missing is a audience, a ready-made audience of people who that product or that intellectual property would be relevant for. Uh, the slow way to go about scaling that business is to go out and not only develop the valuable and unique intellectual property, but also go out and spend the time one by one developing the audience as well. Whereas when you can sit there and go, okay, I've got one valuable piece of the puzzle. Who out there has already woken up today with a audience of people that this IP, this product would be a perfect fit for? Um, and you may want to go out and create a list of who are the communities, who are the influencers, who are the organizations that already have access to the market, the audience of people that you're looking to attract, um, but you may not, you know, you don't have a competitive overlap with. And looking at that list of organizations or people, they might have a, let's say it's an influencer who has an audience of people that, um, are the perfect people you're looking for, yet they may not necessarily have a way to commercialize that audience. They may not have a product or a service themselves. And so if you could bring your piece of the puzzle together with their piece of the puzzle, all of a sudden you can be really valuable and useful to one another. That might come in the form of them sharing, you know, your unique insights, whether it be through a podcast, whether it be through a a product or a service with their audience in exchange for them taking a a cut of the, you know, revenue or the sales that are made, you know, as a result of that, um, that promotion. So 
that spirit of partnership is really the kind of the the key thing that turns on the money tap and the leverage for a lot of our clients when they can start to see, you know, what's the piece of the puzzle they've got? What are the pieces of the puzzle I'm missing? And then mm. how can I yeah, fit my very, piece very together with their piece in a way that um, we both benefit? A lot of kind of thoughts going on in my head about those partnerships and tapping into those audiences. And that's what was really profound for me when you said people can wake up with one part of the puzzle, but they might not have the other part. And then when you said it could be the whole audience and people are starting businesses every day and they've got this great product, but they don't have the audience. And so they can build it really, really slowly, or they can just go and tap into someone that's already got the audience. Um, I want to dive into that. Yeah, go on. Can I just, yeah, well, can I, can I make a suggestion around that, that, you know, someone might be sitting there with a really fantastic, you might have, you know, an amazing way that you deliver a physical transformation to someone or to, to your market, your clients, uh, but no one knows about you and um, you're fairly, you know, invisible and, and not well known. Now, um, you've got this great product, but your ability to go out and have the leverage to access a influencer or an, or an audience or a database may be pretty minimal at this point because you may not necessarily have a lot to offer other than you could give them a slice of the pie you know, if they were to promote you. But that may not be enough uh, credibility or enough cut through to, to develop that relationship with that database. However, if there were some people who already have a significant, significant brand equity within the market. So there might be um, other personal trainers, coaches, organizations um, that already do have a really powerful brand in your space. If you could do a brand partnership with them where essentially they are willing to endorse and support this really amazing product that you've got in exchange for you know some kind of value in return, and uh, and you were to put together a few of those deals where you might have a, a large equipment supplier who's partnered with you and they, they come on as a inverted commas sponsor, um, which in reality might look quite simple where it's like in exchange for being able to use their logo and their, their, their brand on your website, um, you know, you give them a whole bunch of, uh, of free slots for their staff to go through your transformation program let's say. And then when you've got their brand on board, um, that gives you more stacked credibility and authority to then approach a database or an influencer who has already got a large audience and say, hey, we're aligned with these brands in this space. We have an amazing product. These credible brands are endorsing and supporting this product. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to explore a relationship or a partnership with you guys where we could collaborate in such a way that, um, you know, you'd be, you'd be open to sharing our message and our product with your uh, audience. And in return, you know, we can offer you these different things. It might be in the form of a referral fee, a commission, or they might be able to go through the transformational product or program themselves, uh, plus share it with their audience. Uh, but now all of a sudden you've got, you know, additional leverage. And, um, and so that, that's a good example that's of absolute gold. Uh, using partnerships to it. be able to very rapidly accelerate right, your way into the inner circle. 
in terms of those pieces coming together, but so simple if you can obviously execute this first part and get someone credible on board. But yeah, absolutely love that. That's golden. So uh, we're 48 minutes in and kind of want to draw things to a close. But in terms of people finding you and what you do and maybe people that are interested in the KPI, maybe there's people listening to this and they're thinking about writing books, about perfecting their pitches, about creating partnerships like we talked about, or they want to explore some of the other things like the product design um, and the publishing. Um, where shall they go? Where should these people go in order to find out more and uh, get involved with this KPI movement? So uh, thanks, Alex. There's two avenues I'd suggest. So if you just simply Google key person of influence, uh, all separate words, then a whole bunch of stuff will pop up. You'll end up at our blog. Um, and there's a, on the first page of Google, there's a bunch of different ways that you can connect with key person of influence. One of the things I would recommend is we have something called the key person of influence scorecard, which is a digital uh, evaluation tool that we developed. It's been used by 40,000 entrepreneurs around the world and it gives you 40 questions uh, which is designed to evaluate how much influence you have in your industry right now, how strong or weak you are in each of the five areas. It's a free tool. It comes with a customized report at the end of it and um, and that would be a really kind of great first step to figure out what are the areas that you're doing well in and what are the areas that need some improvement uh, and uh, and you know as a result, perhaps get a copy of the book and, and start there as a starting point. Um, if anyone wants to connect with me personally, then uh, what I'd recommend is just head to mikejamesreid.com and uh, there you'll find a whole bunch of different projects I'm involved with. I'm actually launching my own podcast at the end of this month called the Dichotomy Podcast, which is about exploring how entrepreneurs can find more balance in business and life and uh, master some of the, the challenges that they faced in their journey. Uh, as well as uh, you know, find links awesome. to and I think KPI as well book, if find you, links to Dent, I did that test uh, and you know a variety scored, of other things that uh, I think I I'm scored up to as well. just under fifty percent, which is not great, but considering where we are in the business, that'll obviously change over time. Um, but I noticed, uh, I think when I signed up to the event as well, that you actually do get either a copy or a PDF of this. I'm sure you do. Correct. So if if you're based in the UK or based in London, then uh, if you go along to, um, if you type in uh, key person of influence London, you'll come to a page which is uh, just information about one of our upcoming events and um, or just go to dent.global, D-E-N-T.global. And if you're booking for a ticket to the event, we'll give you a free copy of the book on the day as well. Do you do them regularly? Is it every year? Is it quarterly? Like how do those events run? Because there's a few different ones I've noticed. Yeah, in in London, I believe we do an event every uh, six months, uh, which is a you know about a couple of hundred entrepreneurs coming together for a, a half a day conference, and there's a couple of speakers, there's some networking, all that kind of different thing. Uh, I believe that's every six months, maybe quarterly, but um, but it's it's not as often as you may think. So awesome, uh, and they Thank do so much out ahead of time. I really so um, appreciate you coming on. on. You know, there should that was be one probably coming one up of the most the next in-depth ones we've done so far. I think in all sorts of different angles, which is awesome because um, I love to keep this nice and broad. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Cheers, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me along. Thanks, Alex. 
Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it, guys. If you did, head over to your favorite app and leave us a short review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you wanted to learn more about our products and services, head over to coachingignited.com. And if you wanted an awesome website built for your coaching business, head over to our partner company, sevectormedia.com. That's all from me. See you soon.